0: that the Lord will bless as we uh, look into this word again this morning. Your Bible, please, to uh, Romans chapter 12. So I think of those who have preceded me to the platform, I feel that uh, my subject is uh, covered to some extent, but I may... Like some of the previous speakers, I might uh, just use the topic of the man that preceded me. I noticed uh, Brother Birdner; he's trying to speak on the strategic surrender, and he spoke on the mercies of God last night. So maybe I should speak on the subject of strategic surrender. I know I have a habit of have a habit of. Uh, Digression, hard for me to confine to a text I've been trying to, I'll try to do my best. Reading the first two verses of Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. My <clears throat> topic this morning is, um, my sign topic is concerning the sanctification of the believer. Uh, the second uh, passage that I've been assigned to is 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17. My turn there. And look at this portion of scripture, just just the verse, verse seventeen. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. As you know quite well, I'm sure you're aware of the fact that uh, this is a very broad subject, sanctification. Sanctification, uh, when used used a person, has a threefold meaning, I'm sure you're aware of that. And I have been assigned to the uh, topic of sanctification, that is, the experiential sanctification of the Believer. We'll try to confine ourselves to that, uh, uh, that phase of the subject. However, we'd like to mention just briefly the uh, other phases of it. Uh In chapter 12 of Hebrews, we find a statement there that's very pertinent to our subject. Chapter 14. Chapter 12 and verse 14. I'd like to read it. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Of course, the holiness here is determined by the context in which we find it, and it's certainly in accord with the tenor of the whole uh, epistle. And speaking of, uh, of positional holiness, holiness uh, that uh, one must have before he can have an experience in holy living, we would uh, then uh, look, first of all, to uh, the positional sanctification, <clears throat> your attention to Ephesians chapter one. This has to do with the with the uh, position or the status of the believer. It has to do with uh, personal salvation. Chapter four, chapter one, and verse four. Read verse three long. <clears throat> blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Holy mystery, without doubt, is, is in reference to uh, the uh, salvation that we have. It's a position. It's a static state of affairs. It's a relationship. So therefore, before one can experience a sanctification unto a holy life, he first must be saved. And this has reference to God choosing us in him and predestinating us unto the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ. We also have it referred to in Romans chapter 15. We have this... Uh, positional holiness referred to and in this case it has to do with the Gentile nation. Very interesting passage indeed. I'd like to read beginning at verse uh, uh, 14 and read through verse 16. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, also able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, certainly Paul is uh, is uh, pronouncing upon his uh, special ministry here, inasmuch as the Gentiles... Were to be saved under the old economy and will future have a future salvation in the millennium, and uh, and Israel will be instrumental in this. And God has uh, God has uh, showed mercy to the Gentiles in order uh, that the Gentiles might glorify Him, and we find that in the uh, scripture references that Paul alludes to in the Old Testament scriptures in the foregoing verses. But he says. Uh, but I have written more boldly, uh, unto you in some way, in part, as putting you in mind because of the grace of God that is given unto me. And here he alludes to his special ministry. My uh, assigned topic this morning is to compare the sanctification of the believer in the present age or in the day of grace with that of the Old Testament saints. So that, that's what we want to do and we want to see that here, that Paul is speaking in Romans 15 as he winds down uh, concerning God now having a particular um, a ministry for Paul to minister the gospel of God. And I appreciate uh, Paul's uh, phrase here, the gospel of God, because certainly God has a harmonious plan. He has a plan for the ages, and he incorporates every family of God in, uh, in, in uh, existence. And so Paul's ministry is related to the whole topic of salvation in general. And so he, he puts them in mind in some sort concerning the Gentile ministry that God had committed unto him in a very special and definite way that the Old Testament scriptures are certainly, uh, do not speak of. And it's oblivious there that, uh, as we search that, uh, we couldn't find such a ministry. And it is that the offering up, and it's interesting that the word offering here is uh, is certainly the same word that we have a same thought in it that we have in the words, present yourselves a living sacrifice. And so the offering up of the Gentiles, which has to do with the corporate, which has to do with the Gentile salvation in this, uh, in this peculiar age in which we live, that it might be not by uh, works, not by anything, but by the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. And this is a positional sanctification uh, that uh, comes from God alone. And Paul goes on to say there that I should be the minister. that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I have therefore, whereof I may glory in this particular thing, I may boast to Jesus Christ in those things which we came to God, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which God hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient. And we should have a semicolon there because we have a definite uh that by word and deed, uh, through mighty signs and word, uh, miracles, these, this should be put together. So Paul is speaking of his peculiar ministry in that the Gentiles might be uh, acceptable to God, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. There's no other way. Uh, <clears throat> so much for that uh, passage. Let's turn to Acts 26, just briefly. Acts 26. Paul says something... Or Luke, as he quotes Paul, as he reiterates, him, and as he uh, reminisces and relates his experience on the road to Damascus, and we'd like to look at one verse, verse 18. So verse 17, 18, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inherits among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me. And, and the, the uh, preposition is interesting there. By faith that is toward me. We have it in the objective here. By faith, not subjective faith, but by objective faith in me or toward me. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the object of the believer's faith in the present dispensation, where well, it was, he was not only in types and figures in the Old Testament scriptures. We have many more scriptures, but uh, we will uh, go on to the ultimate and final sanctification. And I think one or two verses will suffice for the 30 easy 5 We looked at the positional. Now we shall look at the uh, at the final or the ultimate sanctification. As I said, when it comes to persons sanctification is threefold. So, we'll go to the future, and then we'll drop back to the present. We've looked at the past. We'll go to the future, and then we'll back up into the present. In chapter... Ephesians, chapter 5. We're getting verse 24 and without blemish. Certainly, we have a future sanctification that we look forward to. There will be a day when there will be that washing, there will be that ironing day that will come, when we will have all stains of sin removed from us, and we will be perfected. Uh, and then we will experience that image which God is perfecting today. Romans, of course, Romans uh, chapter eight and uh, verse twenty-nine refers to that day. And of course, the earning and washing uh, comes from the all things of verse twenty-eight. Then we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Here is the final end of our salvation unto the glory of God. That day when we will be conformed. We're not conformed yet. We're in the process. So salvation also is freefold, is it not? We have it in the past. We have been saved. In a real sense, we can say we are in the process of being saved. And in the ultimate and final, we shall be saved. So what God has begun, he will perform until the day of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, we have security in as much as it is God that is now working in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The final and ultimate salvation is sure. First Corinthians 3.17, we might uh, take just a glance at that in passing. Uh, due to the fact, uh, I believe that the sanctification here is a, a, a corporate sanctification. It has to do with the it has to do with the church. And of course we find in 1 Corinthians 1.17, uh, 3.17 the apostle's argument is that teachers should know their subject and should adhere to it and build upon a foundation that Paul himself has laid. And uh, It might be well if we would just take the time to read the few verses here in verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. That is, those that are aforementioned in the context. Now, we are laborers together with God, too, but not in this context. This is limited to Paul and his associates, those who have gone before him. Peter, Paul, and Moses. This is the argument. We are laborers together. Don't you differentiate between us? Don't you... Don't you prefer one over the other, as far as the person is concerned. But as far as the ministry is committed to that individual, we must make these cases. And that's the argument of Paul. And uh, make sure. For so we are this together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God that is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Another buildeth thereon. Let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. And uh, I, uh, uh, for, no, for other foundations can no man lay and that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And uh, now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man is the work of eyes which he hath built thereupon, that is from the foundation, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, Yet so as by fire, know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy or defile. Uh, the word is deface, I understand. If any man deface the temple, if any man uh, deface the temple, him shall God deface. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Of course, here I feel he's speaking through the. Uh, Corinthians, concerning the corporate uh, temple. It has to do with the body of Christ. And if we're going to prosper, and if we're going to be effective in our ministries and in our teaching, we must build upon a foundation as Paul has laid that foundation, which foundation is Christ. Of course, if we preach Christ after the flesh, we're not building upon that foundation. We must be very discriminating. When we teach the word, and this is the context, and, uh, since uh, the Christians were, uh, playing favoritism with the various, uh, teachers uh, that would come to Corinth, uh, Paul is showing them that, uh, they are not to follow, uh, these in, uh, their, uh, in, in their, uh, preaching, but they are to build upon, however, Christ could be built upon according to the play. He was the seed of David, and Paul contrasts this always and not ever, that we are not to look to him now as the king who is to receive to David's throne one day and be a glorious day. But we are to look to him now who is exalted in the heavens. And this uh, ministry uh, came through the Apostle Paul and was passed on to the church. when you and I and those who build upon this foundation accordingly shall have a reward. But if they build any other way, we, it's not sufficient to preach Christ uh, Paul could say, I I I I pleased my glory in that they preach Christ uh to the Philippians. He could say that. But it, it's always when he's talking to teachers, he's talking to uh us and he's talking to the church as to how they build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, the uh, uh holiness here is a positional holiness. You are holy, uh the temple of God is holy, uh even uh, it's, it's a position of holiness here, to be sure. But it has to do with the collective. It doesn't have to do with the individual's experiential sanctification. It has to do with the teacher teaching proper doctrine in order that he might build upon a foundation. And that foundation and that, that building that is being built is a holy building. It's a building of God. And you and I who contribute to that structure must be careful what materials we use in the process. Or else we're going to find that our work in that day will be the same. It will be, it will be, uh, uh it'll be marred, uh, it'll be, uh, it'll be, will be judged according as to how we teach the word of God and what principles we use in their, uh, stability. Okay. Experiential sanctification. Turn to John chapter 17. That's the uh, difference between, I believe, personal sanctification and the, uh, the holiness of the believer and the holiness of the collect or the corporate church. John 17, uh, our Lord speaks a, a, a great principle here. I think it's applicable in every age and it's interdispensation or transdispensation, which is the way way we want to Where he says to the, uh, in his prayer, or he's in, in his intercessory prayer to the Father, says concerning the disciples, verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. That is a principle that never varies. Dispensations, modes of dealing, vary. God's principles never vary. Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. There is no other way to be set apart for God. And that's exactly what sanctification means. We didn't uh, <laughs> we didn't pronounce upon that at the beginning. Assuming that you know that sanctification means only to be set apart. It means to be Placed in a peculiar place and for a peculiar use, sanctification is used so broad. Such a broad subject in the Bible that uh, we have to uh, confine it to context in order to in order to understand what it means. But here, speaking of the twelve, in this case, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is true. Uh, First Thessalonians chapter five. We have uh, the Apostle Paul's prayer concerning sanctification. First Thessalonians chapter five verse twenty three. Paul's prayer is that the very God of peace sanctify you completely fully. And I pray, God, that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is practical, experiential holiness based upon, of course, that holiness which is positional. Unless we have been set apart for God through the new birth, through regeneration, We can never be sanctified in a practical way. God cannot sanctify the flesh. It is, it is beyond repair. There is no, there is just no hope for the flesh. It must die. And that's exactly the effective work on the cross of Calvary. The flesh has died positionally. It hasn't died experientially, but it has died positionally. We have the victory. We have a new master. King sin no longer reigns. He no longer should reign unless we permit permitting to reign. So therefore, if we walk after the Spirit, we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So, in experiential salvation, we have uh, we have uh, the uh, classic topic expressed in Romans 12. Let us Turn back to Romans 12 now. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, I beseech you, brethren. I beg of you. Uh, Some have translated, I exhort you. Seems to me that would be a better translation. Due to the fact that he does enjoin I admonish you. I exhort you. I beseech you. I beg of you. Uh, this word is complex. Therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God—not mercies—I understand that this word is in the singular and not in the plural. I don't know if it makes any difference or not, but it is in the singular until at least my lexicon puts it there. The fair has been put it in the singular. By the mercy of God. Paul enjoins our he beseeches by the mercies of God. This is the incentive of our dedication our, our yieldedness by the mercies of God. The mercies that not only was stated in the immediate context or surely it's there, surely there he, uh, he uh, reaches Uh, the crescendo of his great appeal or information before he makes the appeal. And now in verse 1 of chapter 12, he begins to base his appeal upon the foregoing, and this is always the case. Since this has been done on your behalf, now it's your responsibility to respond accordingly. So therefore, by the mercies of God, in view of these or this, mercy of god the whole mercy of god in uh in the uh, doctrine of justification a holy righteousness imputed to the sinner which constitutes him a son of god upon the basis of this paul appeals now to their common sense that they would just present themselves however the word reasonable we'd like to want to uh, work on that just a little bit in a moment. But the word present, as our brother Bergener mentioned, is the, uh, the verbal, that, and it is that. It presents, and he showed us from chapter 6, that is translated yield there. This, I'm told by the authorities, and the position of the verb is important here, uh, it's an error, tense, present, Imperative. The verbal is a participle that is in the present, in the present tense, it's in an imperative mood. So it's an injunction, not a matter of just begging, if you will, please. And that's why I would rather think the deceitful is exhort rather than a begging. He's not appealing out of goodness, but he is ordering advanced at Rome to do this, and of course that's transmitted on to us. It is an imperative that you present, that you yield. we told that Paul's thought originates from the Old Testament sacrifice, where the author brings the victim, and he presents it, and that's why the translators have, uh, have translated this. He lays it at the feet of another, It is totally relinquished, it's turned over to the priest, to offer. In this case, we offer ourselves. And the presentation, since it's in the present tense, it has a past, it has a past action, but it has a present result. We don't present ourselves over and over again, I'm told here, but the the presentation in the past has an effect now. That we are presented. We should reckon it to be so. So when we come and put ourselves at the disposal of God, we are to leave it there and to reckon it as being there continuously. And so Paul says, Present your body that's in the plural code, and and speaking to all all believers. A living sacrifice in contrast to the slain sacrifice of Old Testament. Very unique. Injunction. This sacrifice is to be holy. And that's the word I'm supposed to elaborate upon. It's an adjective that describes the condition of the body that has been presented. Holy. It's separated. It's for special use. It's not to be transgressed. It is to be left there and reckoned to be so. So these bodies are to be presented in such a fashion that they have present results as his. The offering was not taken back. It was not repossessed. But rather, it was left there. And so these bodies of ours are to be likewise presented. Holy. Acceptable unto God. And so, that word acceptable, should be translated, well-pleasing, well-pleasing unto God. His body should always be presented, or should be reckoned to be presented, as well-pleasing to God. Uh, Which is your reasonable service? Our word reasonable is an interesting word here as we think of the word holy. Not that it is that which is seemingly right, uh, reasonable not in that this is what it should be or what is expected of it, but rather it is a presenting of with the mind in contrast to a literal plain sacrifice. It is with the mind that we present the body. It is very Close McKen, I'm told, to the word do it. We do it with a mental confession. It is intelligent in that it is a service, a divine service, as that priest of the Old Testament offered, let it be, the liturgical services of God it's liturgical our word service it comes from that word leturine or litura, which means a service of worship so our minds then is very important when it comes to offering our bodies it's a confession that is why Paul goes on to say and be not conformed to this world but be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind and certainly that is a uh, uh, follow-through of the word reasonable. The renewing of your mind. Not that we renew the mind. I'm told it's in the middle voice. And it means to permit our minds to be renewed. I used to listen to Reverend Hartman over a radio station in St. Louis. And he was uh, one of these spiritualists. And he, he emphasized always that we are to change our minds. And we are to give them in such a gear that we think positively, not thinking in a negative way. And he used this verse. This is always a key verse. But it's not that I manipulate my mind to think; that I present myself in such a fashion and in such a way by the mind that my mind is renewed by the Holy Spirit. So the mind is worked upon. Therefore, it is not just reasonable. But it's an intelligent service. It's a service of the intellect. This intellect is captivated by the Spirit of God. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so it is with the offering of this uh, this sacrifice of our body. Turn to chapter six, you write. Romans six. Chapter 6 of Romans. And let's look at verse 11. Maybe we should go back to verse 6. six, six. Know this that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin. I'm told by the authorities of grammar that the word sin here refers not to sins per se, but to the sin nature, throughout the text, the sin nature. And where we find the word sin, in the latter verses of chapter 5, 6, 7, and even into 8, we could translate it, or we could paraphrase it, if we wanted sin nature. It has to do with our basic Adamic nature. And so it's used that way. Here. The old man is crucified with him that the body of the sin nature might be destroyed. The word destroyed means to render ineffective. It means to nullify as far as the old uses are concerned. Not to destroy the body, not to annihilate it, not to but rather to render it inoperative as to its former use. They're crucified with sin in order that the body of sin, sin has dominated this body. Sin still dominates if it can. Sin is personified in chapter 5 and verse 21, and it's referred to as reigning as a monarch, reigning as a king, as sin has reigned. So here, sin now has lost its dominion, therefore destroyed in that sense. And that the body might be destroyed. Destroyed as far as the uses of it by the by sin nature is concerned. That herefore we should not first sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. He, he has told us in verses three and four that we have died with Christ. Therefore uh, these bodies are dead. Alright, verse nine. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Over Christ, For in that he died, he died unto sin once. Oh, yes, he died for sin, but he also died unto sin. He satisfied the sin that he... He satisfied the law, the law of God, the righteousness of God, in that he died on behalf of the sinner, but he died unto sin once. In other words, he met its price, he paid its penalty. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God likewise reckon you yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin we are dead but with the mind we reckon it to be so and we also reckon ourselves to be alive unto god through jesus christ our lord let sin therefore let let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, in these bodies that are subject to death now in these dying bodies that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Uh, verse 12 is an interesting verse, and I appreciate Luke's remarks upon uh, this verse. I'm sure you're aware of the fact that we are not to let sin reign in our mortal bodies, uh, that we should obey it in the lust thereof. And I always read this: yet was to be construed with the word sin, not to obey sin in the lust thereof. But I'm told that that's not the case. The it does not refer to the antecedent sin because sin is in the feminine gender, I'm told, by the authority. But the it is in the neuter, and you cannot associate Now, since that be the case, it shows a different light upon upon the verse. Let not sin therefore reign in these in your mortal body, that ye should obey that body in the lust thereof. So the body is in the neuter. So is it. We must construe them together. So it's the body we're not to obey. The body wants to do these things that are evil. It is still the tabernacle of this life. But that flesh, as our brother Johnson brought out, appreciated remarks on the condemnation in eight and three that. Sin has been condemned in the flesh, that is, in these bodies. And the flesh there doesn't refer to the nature, but it refers to the body, in context with demon so. So in these bodies, we have a, a We have a person in residence that has been condemned. Uh, we condemn a house. We don't abolish it. But it is no longer sits for uh, abode, for uh, So this body is not condemned, but... Sin is condemned in the body. No longer is it recognized as being a valid resident, uh, 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 tenant to the resident. God has condemned sin in the flesh, in the body. The body is no longer to be subject to king sin any longer. We don't pay rent to him any longer. We do not recognize that he is the possessor of the house any longer that house has been destroyed as far as his authority is concerned. And therefore, we are not to render uh, these bodies to be habitated or to be dictated to by uh, king sin. We should not obey the body in the of Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto holiness. We are holy. And that reference is made to that in verse 19. What he says in the latter part of that verse. Even, it's the last quote, even so now yield or present your members, servants of righteousness unto holiness. We are to uh, present or yield our members, servants. Uh, this Righteousness here is not an imputed righteousness, but a practical righteousness that comes from the holiness which we have. Uh, The righteousness unto holiness. We are holy. So our actions can stem out of that being set apart for God. Verse 22, he makes the same reference. But now being made free from sin. No longer sin has dominion. Being made free from sin. And become servants of God. Notice this change in masters. Ye have your fruit or your deeds unto holiness, where our deeds had been unto sin. We responded to sin by nature. Now we are to uh now we are to respond to that holy position that we have. Of course, the Holy Spirit being active in the believers. So we have in this. I uh, We have a unique and unique message. Whereas in the Old Testament, and uh, I wanted to go back, the time doesn't permit, I wanted to go back to Leviticus 11. You know the text there. How that the food of the Israelite was to be holy. Where the cloven-footed animal, one that chewed the cud, uh, and uh, had the cloven foot, was only fit for food. Where the one maybe that you could, and yet he didn't, uh, have a clothing foot. Uh, we have also reference made to, uh, to the fowl. The fowl that, uh, certain fowls, and the species, of course, only the scale fish, and the fin fish, those with armor, those that could move rapidly through the waters, and then through the grovel animals, or insects, as so they calls them fowls. These four things that the Israelite was to abstain from in order that his body might be holy. In order that he might be holy. In order that he might be acceptable. Even if he tasted he eat or even touch let alone handle. He was defiled and he would be defiled in the evening. He had to wash. He had to baptize, He had to go through the ceremony. Therefore it was a physical sanctification. It was a matter of moving into a place where now he uh, would not be defiled. Paul alludes to that in First Timothy. Definitely so. There's no question about it. In chapter 4, where he speaks there of uh, the uh, hypocritical people. I'd like to read it just so I may take the time. First Timothy 4, beginning at verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, Seeking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meat, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them that believe and know the truth, for every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified, made holy, by the word of god and prayer not by some legislative program that made us holy but rather now instead of these physical things displaying a uh, position even an attitude that is acceptable we're to do it with a mind that is subjected to the Holy Spirit. So therefore, in conclusion, let us turn back to Romans 12. Today, the holiness of, or uh, uh, yesterday, the holiness of Israel was overt. It was religious. It was physical. And these things had to be done through, uh, represented through a slain sacrifice. Of course, I referred to the food in uh, Leviticus 11. I could have gone back to chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 in both of the Offerings which speak of attributes and works of Christ himself. And these are all typical in physical displays. But not so today. Today, it is a reasonable service that we perform, a reasonable worship, a worship of the intellect, not intellect only, but the intellect must be subjected. And when the intellect is subjected to the point where the body is offered and reckoned to be dead, there can be victory. There can be victory. No wonder Paul goes on in the array in these verses of what now should be done. Let's read them just in quotes. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself. Now that goes back to the rational presentation. It goes back to the renewing of the mind. That a man is not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. This is intellectualism that when that intellect is dedicated and muted and offered to God as a sacrifice and the body as a living sacrifice, that mind is bent uh, upon the things of God and not upon the things of this world and uh, its attraction. Soberly. Think soberly. Not irrationally. Um, more, how do you think ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the major faith. For as we have many members in one body, and that's the body of Christ, is it not? Is he not speaking of the body of Christ? Here some tell, uh, some tell us that he's not, but I can't see anything else. As we are members of the one body, and all members have not the same function, not office, but function. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having been differing according to the grace that is given unto us. And when that mind is dedicated to God, and when that body is presented by the mind, we can't present our bodies and leave our minds in the world. They will become defiled. We will begin to think worldly. We must think on the things of God. We must keep our minds buried in his word. And as long as we do this, we're on safe ground. But let them wander. Let them wander out there. We will become defiled. We are not recognizing ourselves to be dead, and we're not offering our bodies that is acceptable, holy, set apart for God. These bodies are not to be used. We heard last week. Oh, I keep going on here. I'm going to have to close. Chapter six of First Corinthians. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body, which is God. In your spirit, not that, is it? Not that. Not to dedicate our spirit. He's not talking about that. He's talking about fornication. He's talking about the lustful acts of this life which we're all so subjected to. We are so prone to failure as long as our mind is not that which is presented to god along with our bodies our bodies must be presented in a mental fashion this mind must be stayed upon god it is god that worketh in us to will and to do of his good pleasure I i, I just must stop there i had some more things to say and uh i went to school just a few weeks and we had a subject each day i was sick the day that they taught on the so we stand? So i done.